great song and to be reminded that God is the great I am and that we can hold on to him. So glad you're here. Let's sing this together.
Oh, God bless you, gang. So glad you're here for worship today. Hey, before you have a seat, just say hello to somebody around you just for a few moments. We'll see you back in a second. Thanks. Good morning. So I'm Billy. I'm your worship pastor here at Hope Vale, and it's great to have you guys here for worship today. Yeah, what a great reminder with that video to be reminded that, um, boy, just a simple invite uh, can change somebody's life forever. So really want to encourage you to invite people to Easter in, uh, geez, two weeks from today. That's hard to believe. Easter's uh, just right around the corner. Next week is Palm Sunday and begins our, um, uh, our Holy Week uh, process. But yeah, Easter services, we've got four of them. So take note of the time. There's some little changes going on uh, in the times of the day. So um, we'll have some postcards. We have some postcards available. They should be at the welcome desk today and out in the lobby and in some other areas all over the church. So make sure to snag one. And if you want to use that for an invite, feel free to do that too. Take a few of them. Hey, we've got a, a, just as a matter of an announcement, we have a baptism service coming up on April 23rd, but here's the deal. If you are interested in being baptized, we're asking that you sign up by April 7 for the classes, and uh, we do ask people to go through a class for baptism because we want you to understand that it's a, it's a big deal and uh, what you do, and so um, if you've been baptized as an infant and maybe never made that a personal um, uh, decision to be baptized, I want to encourage you to consider that and see what that means. And you can go on the website and see a little bit more, read a little bit more about that. But, you know, the Lord asks us to basically, he, he said, do two th- I, want, I want you to con- kind of do two things uh, when I leave this earth. When Jesus left his earthly ministry almost 2,000 years ago, he said, I want you to take communion and when you gather for worship and to do that in remembrance of me, of what I've done for you. And I want you to go into the world and baptize people um, and make disciples of them. So a baptism is really just like a water grave. You die to yourself and you come back up, and it's a real symbol that God asks us to go through um, as, a, as a great great step of faith. So I um, really want to encourage you to do that if you've never made that, that personal decision. Well, now we're going to uh, take our offering. Ushers, if you'd please come forward with uh, the trays. We're, we'll pass those out in just a moment. Um, this is an opportunity for Hope Vale to give. If you call Hope Vale home, we certainly would love for you to uh, take this opportunity to give. Um, if Hope Vale is not your home, um, we just say let the plates pass you by. Uh, but if you're inspired to give, we don't want to hold that back either. And also, if uh, for some reason you're watching online today, um, you can be uh, you can uh, click the gift tab and uh, give that way too. Thanks so much. So uh, let's pray and let's ask God's blessing on what's going to be given today. Okay? Yeah. Um, God, uh, we ask your blessing today on what's given because with what we give, God, you use it. Um, you, you take the little that we have and you make it grand somehow. And um, God, thank you for that because um, the, little, the little that we can give sometimes just barely feels like just a tiny bit. 
for those of us who've given for some time. But for if there's those of us who've not given for a while or just absolutely completely unable, um, help us know what it means to go to our next step, God, to give to you. And, and not just to give to the church and to give to the ministries of Hope Vale, and that's important, but it's for your work and for your kingdom's advancement. So, um, God, you've given so much to us. Help us to do what you call us to do joyfully in giving. And so uh, we pray that you would uh, just take this today and make it grand again. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll continue in worship. Go ahead and stay seated.
God, in the stillness and the quiet of this moment, we recognize the power and the presence of who you are. That's why many of us show up in these seats today, because we want to come and, and experience that again. And thank you for letting us experience the power of who you are again. There's this great story that we join in to remember that you have overcome, Jesus. It's fun to sing this song today. We'll sing it again on Easter Sunday to you again, God, to be reminded that you are forever glorified and forever you are lifted high. And Jesus, that you are forever risen. And so in these moments, God, remind us today of the power and the presence of who you are, to know that the power and the presence of who you are can change our circumstances in our life. Help us, God, to worship you, not through our circumstances if things are just going good, but even if things are going bad. Help us to be reminded that even through those circumstances that you're still good. You are still good. You are still powerful. You can still move and work. So would you move and work today in the, in the presence of this place? God, we ask your blessing on Pastor Adam as he prepares to bring the word today and telling us a story that we could probably relate to pretty well. So in, in all of that, we ask your blessing today, God. We pray all these things today in Jesus' name. And as a church, we say together, amen. God bless you, friends. Go ahead and have a seat. Pastor Adam. Good morning again, everybody. How are we doing today? It was an awesome time of worship. So just thanks, Pastor Billy and the worship team to just lead us in, in God's presence today and just recognizing him for who he is and all that he has done for us. Well, as Billy said, my name is Adam Harbaugh. I'm the outreach pastor here at Hopevale. And uh, we're going to continue our series this morning leading up to Easter called Crossroads, where our story meets his. And in this series, we're taking a biographical look at some of the people whose lives intersected with Jesus leading up to his death and resurrection on the cross. Uh, and we're, we're, we're going to be considering our lives in the process Last week, Pastor Sam did a great job of talking through the story of Judas and encouraging us to wrestle with our doubts and disappointments rather than walk away from Jesus. Well, today we're going to be digging into the life of Peter and the experiences that he had when his life intersected with Jesus. And along the way, I really do think that there's a lot that we can relate to in his life. Peter was a pretty prominent character in the four Gospels. Uh, in, in, the, in the Word, but there, um, there really is a lot that we can look at in his life. And so first, I just want to give kind of a, a big picture overview of who Peter was. First, his name was actually Simon. Uh, Jesus later renamed him Peter, which means rock. Uh, Peter was a Jewish man. He was raised in Galilee, which is a region in northern Israel, and lived in Capernaum with his wife, and we know that he was married because there's a passage in Scripture that talks about how Jesus came in and healed Peter's mother-in-law. And I'm sure there's a mother-in-law joke in there somewhere, but we're not going to touch that. We're just going to keep moving. But Peter was married. Uh, Capernaum is on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee and was headquarters for much of Jesus' ministry on earth. Peter was a fisherman. He owned his own business with his brother, Andrew. And Peter and Andrew were actually the first two people that Jesus called and, and saw and came and asked 
and invited them to follow him as his disciples. And when Jesus invited Peter to follow him, he actually identified himself as a sinful man. He didn't think that he was anybody who would be worthy of being a follower of Jesus, and especially not one of his closest friends and disciples. But Peter responded to that invitation to follow Jesus anyway, and uh, uh, Peter was brash and bold, just who he was. His personality was brash and bold. He questioned things. He spoke his mind without a filter, even if sometimes it didn't or if it revealed that he didn't quite get it, or maybe even that his motivations were selfish. You know, for example, one time Peter said to Jesus, you know, we, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Or in other words, okay, Jesus, we left everything. What's in it for me? Like, I got to get something out of this, right? He was pretty bold and brash and didn't always have a filter. And so even though Peter was far from perfect, he rose to a place of leadership as one of Jesus' closest followers. You know, of the 12 disciples, he was in the inner circle. In the scriptures, he was always named first. He spoke on behalf of the group, and he was entrusted with many tasks by Jesus. You know, Peter had a front row seat to the life of Jesus. He saw many miracles and heard all of the claims that Jesus made about himself as he preached about the kingdom of heaven. Now, Peter came to love Jesus and become fiercely loyal to him. But as we'll see, Peter's journey as a follower of Jesus was not a straight line trending up. In other words, when Jesus encountered Peter, or when Peter encountered, encountered Jesus, he didn't instantly uh, become a perfect person and his life just totally smoothed out and all those rough edges that he had were filed away. That didn't happen. You know, Peter's journey had many peaks and valleys in it. And for Peter, most of his valleys were self-inflicted because of his pride and his selfishness. So I want to lock in for a moment on this idea of our faith journey being made up of peaks and valleys, because it is. And I think if we're all reflecting on our own lives, we would recognize that for ourselves, that our lives are made up of uh, peaks and valleys. And these peaks and valleys that we're talking about today are actually of the spiritual nature. So the spiritual peaks are those moments when we feel incredibly close to the Lord. Maybe we've encountered him in a personal way. You know, maybe we're sitting in an auditorium worshiping him together with hundreds of other people and we just, we feel connected with him. And we could identify those as some spiritual peak moments in our lives. But on the flip side of that, sometimes we have spiritual valleys. Those are those moments where we feel far away from the Lord. We feel distant. And it's because of uh, the sin that is in our lives, those rough edges that maybe haven't been completely filed off. And because we're all sinners, we all have these moments of spiritual valleys because of our sin. You know, that is just the reality of being human. But as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, you know, the hope is that we will become more and more like Christ as we submit our, our wills to Him, and that we'll experience more peaks than valleys. But at the same time, that does not just magically happen. And sometimes I do think that there's a temptation for us to think that once you start following Jesus, that the sinful nature just disappears and that it's all spiritual peaks from then on as you become more like Christ. But that is just simply not how it works. You know, the reality is, is that everybody, everybody's faith journey is a series of peaks and valleys right up until we take our last breath on this earth. 
That's the reality of living in a sinful, broken world. And here's the truth of the matter. The church even is full of people who struggle with sin and brokenness every day, but who have positioned themselves to rely on the grace of God in their lives. The church is full of people who need to understand that no one has arrived and no one is exempt from being used by God. We are all in process, and our only hope for redemption is found in Jesus Christ. So if you're here this morning and you're going through a valley right now because of your sin, I would just say this, hold on. You know, don't get discouraged and wonder if Jesus is still there. He is. He's faithfully walking beside you as you navigate the valley that you're in right now. And if that's you this morning, I think that Peter's story is going to have a great deal of encouragement for you. You know, or maybe you're experiencing, experiencing a spiritual peak right now. You know, that's great. And I would say, you know, enjoy that closeness and fellowship with Jesus But if that's you, there's also a few cautions in your peak spiritual moment. First of all, make sure that pride doesn't creep into those moments and that you don't get a big head about it, thinking that, you know, you are experiencing this closeness with Jesus because of something that you did or because you're so great. Also, make sure that you're not developing an attitude of superiority over anybody else, especially those who might be going through a valley right now. And then last, just make sure that you don't get so comfortable that you start believing that a, a valley will never come again. You know, Peter's life is an example of somebody who didn't always navigate the peaks and valleys very well. You know, too often he got a big head about the spiritual peaks that he experienced, and the results of that were some pretty dark valleys in his life. And so my hope this morning is that as we look at the story of Peter we are going to see the redemptive power of Jesus at work through the ups and downs of his life. So as I said, Peter was invited to follow Jesus, and he did. And at the time that he was invited, he had no idea who Jesus really was. But after watching, listening, and participating in Jesus' ministry for almost three years, they came to this moment where Jesus asked his disciples a question And we pick up this story in Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 18. And there's a couple places you can follow along with that. Uh, The passages that we'll look at this morning are going to be on the screen behind me. You can also follow along in the Hopeville app under message notes. Or if you just have, you know, one of those plain, old-fashioned, physical Bibles, you can open up that as well and follow along. So Matthew 16, we come to this point where Jesus asks Peter and the disciples a question. And it said, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? And that is probably the most important question that everybody on earth can ask themselves. Who do people say the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, is? And they replied, well, some say John the Baptist. Others say that you're Elijah and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you? Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. 
Wow, I mean, you talk about a peak moment for Peter right there. You know, he, Peter, recognized who Jesus was, and Jesus gave him a huge compliment for recognizing that. He said that, you know, his Father in heaven revealed that to Peter, revealed to him who Jesus was. And not only that, but Jesus also told Peter about this place of significance that he would hold in the future, that Jesus would use him to build his church. You know, you gotta, you got to think about the context here for a second. Peter, anybody else, they had absolutely no idea, no context as to what the church was. That was a completely new word for them in light of following Jesus. Didn't know what the church was, but it sure sounded important and like he would play an important role in it. And the more we learn about Peter, I, I have to wonder, even though he was experiencing this spiritual peak moment, if a little bit of pride didn't start to creep in in that moment and he started to get a big head about how Jesus intended to use him in the future. And so just a few verses later, chapter 16, verse 21, it says that after the the disciples recognized who Jesus was, that from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders chief priests and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day raised back to life. Well, Peter, hearing that, took him aside, took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, never. This shall never happen to you. And I wonder why Peter did that. Why would Peter do that? You know, first, I do think that Peter really did love and care about Jesus. But at the same time, he didn't truly grasp who Jesus was and his mission and purpose. And so even though Jesus was telling him exactly what he had to do as the Messiah, I think Peter thought that he was actually being helpful by telling Jesus that these things were not going to happen to him. And I think the other reason that Peter rebuked Jesus in this moment was because this picture of Jesus suffering and dying didn't line up with Peter's expectations of Jesus and actually the implications that a suffering and dying Messiah and Savior would have for Peter. You know, remember, Peter, uh, when Jesus spoke of his kingdom being established on earth, I think Peter and many others, they thought that they meant, that Jesus meant that that would be a political kingdom that would be established, not a spiritual kingdom. And so, in other words, Peter rebuked Jesus because he was worried that if Jesus died, it would eliminate his position of status in Jesus' earthly kingdom. And so, because Peter rebuked Jesus, Jesus turned to him and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Oh man, talk about a valley moment. From a peak to a valley, just like that. And for Peter, it was self-inflicted because his focus was on, you know, what's in it for me? He just did not get it. And so before we continue, I need to, to pause here to just recognize what those last couple verses that Jesus said, establish four followers of Jesus. And it's this, that if you deny God 
and focus on yourself, that is going to lead to spiritual valleys in life. If you deny God and focus on yourself, the result is valleys. But if you deny yourself and focus on God, the result in life is going to be spiritual peaks. You know, that principle is really at uh, at the heart of being a follower of Jesus. And so again, when you follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that your self-focus immediately disappears, but it does mean that you're going to have more and more opportunities to see your selfishness for what it truly is and give the Lord an opportunity to Uh, to shave away those rough edges that we all have. And as we do that, I really believe that we will experience more and more of the good things that God has in store for us, for you, when we deny ourselves and focus on the Lord instead. And so moving to the next story, as Jesus had had just told his disciples that he would have to go to Jerusalem in order to suffer and die. So we pick it up in Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. We see that they're in Jerusalem. They're having the Passover meal together. And Jesus told them, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. And Peter replied, and I almost think Peter almost interrupted him in this moment, because again, he heard Jesus talking about how he would have to go and suffer and that his disciples would be scattered. And, and Peter jumps in and says, you know what? Even if all fall away on account of you, I never will, Lord. I won't fall away. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all of the other disciples said the same thing. See, Peter had the best intentions in the world here. He truly believed what he was saying. But even in those statements, he was still self-focused because he hadn't dealt with his pride. You know, he felt the need to correct Jesus and tell him, remind him that, you know, he would never desert Jesus. But later that night, in the garden, right after Judas betrayed Jesus. Verse 50, it says, Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions, who we know from John's gospel to be Peter, not a big surprise there, reached for his sword. He drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off off his ear. So here's the thing about this moment. I think that Peter really thought that this was a peak moment for him that he was proving his willingness to die for Jesus. Remember, he had just said that I would die with you before I disown you. And so here is Peter drawing his sword and cutting off somebody's ear because he thought that he had to prove that he was going to follow Jesus even to death. But again, he was mistaken. It was another self-inflicted valley because his motivations didn't line up with the mission and purpose of Jesus. And so Jesus said, put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think that I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? And then all of the disciples deserted him and fled. 
just as Jesus told them it would happen. And I think that this is a really sobering moment in Peter's story. And it's sobering because he thought this was a peak moment for him where he was going to prove his love and allegiance to Jesus. And so he drew his sword thinking that Jesus needed to be defended, but he got reprimanded by Jesus instead. So even with good intentions, Peter's motivation for drawing the sword was selfish. You know, he really had his own interests in mind in that moment rather than supporting the mission and purpose of Jesus. I think there's a huge caution for followers of Jesus in this part of Peter's story. See, Jesus' mission was to die on the cross for the forgiveness of everyone's sin. But Peter became a distraction to that mission, even though he thought he was being helpful. And so today, Jesus' mission is for everyone to respond to what he has done for them on the cross and the forgiveness of their sins. That is the central mission and purpose for followers of Jesus, to see people come to saving faith in Christ. And so the caution for us is this, that before you try to win an argument for Jesus and you're being reckless with your sword, just stop and ask yourself if what you're really saying and doing is in line with the mission and purpose of Jesus to bring him people to a saving knowledge of him. Ask yourself if this is going to cause more harm to the cause of Christ than good. And unfortunately, I think that sometimes too many Christians get caught up with being uh, combative with people over issues that are really secondary to the gospel, but they think that they're doing the cause of Christ a favor. And so rather than, own the desi- uh, rather than uh, their own desire to be right on non-essential issues, that's causing them to turn people away from Jesus. And if that's the case for you, I would just, again, caution you to remember that you might be doing more harm to the cause of Christ. And so in those moments, remember the words of Jesus to put your sword back in its place because you trying to fight for Jesus in that moment is causing more harm than good. Well, at this point, I think it's safe to say that Peter is in another valley. Everything Peter thought he knew about himself and about Jesus appeared to be crumbling before him. And it wasn't making sense anymore. You know, Peter just got rebuked by Jesus again. Jesus was arrested. And Peter, not really knowing what to do, I think uh, he quietly followed him to the courtyard of the high priest where Jesus was on trial. So we pick it up in verse 69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. And then he began to call down curses, and he swore to them, I don't know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me. You will uh, three times. And he went outside, and he wept bitterly. You know, talk about a valley. 
Peter just denied Jesus publicly three times. And I would have to imagine that Peter felt completely broken at that point. He was probably thinking that there was no way that Jesus would take him back after this, that there was no way that forgiveness would be an option for him. You know, Jesus was about to die. And even if he really did come back to life, would Jesus even want to see Peter, let alone have a place of usefulness for him in his kingdom after his denial? You know, Peter was broken over his sin, and he felt such regret because of his failure that he removed himself from Jesus. You know, in the gospel accounts, Peter, uh, the most prominent of Jesus' disciples, is actually nowhere to be found during Jesus' crucifixion. You know, in all my years of ministry, I know that when people sin because of guilt and shame, they, they want to run and hide away from Jesus. And they think things like, you know, there is no way that Jesus has any usefulness for me after this. There's no way that he could forgive me after what I did. But I'm telling you, that is simply not the case. Now, as soul-crushing and humbling as these valley situations are, they're also an opportunity for you and me to experience the forgiveness and the restoration that Jesus extends to you through his death on the cross. So thankfully, Peter didn't run and hide from Jesus forever. He was bold enough, as we know, and he became humble enough to risk facing Jesus again. And that sets up the final story of Pete in Peter's life that we're going to look at today. So they're back at the Sea of Galilee. This is after Jesus' resurrection, which proved Jesus was who he said he was, and he did what he said he was going to do. And Peter encounters Jesus again in the flesh. And at this stage, I would have to think that Peter has surely given up the idea of being the rock in Jesus' church in the future. He was actually hanging out with some of the other disciples, and he was back doing exactly what he was doing when Jesus first called him to follow him. He was out fishing. And Jesus shows up and invites them to the shore for breakfast. We pick this up in John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. And it says, When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. You know, I'm not really sure if Peter really knew what, what Jesus was getting at here, but his answer was pretty straightforward and, and probably didn't have a whole lot of reflection behind it. He just said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And when Jesus said, feed my lambs, he was essentially reminding Peter that he still had a place for him as the church was established on earth. But Jesus wasn't done there. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. See, it was the same thing again. Maybe it was starting to dawn on Peter that this was going to be a very significant moment for him. Jesus was clearly trying to get through to Peter on an emotional level after his denial. And so Jesus' question, do you love me? Peter's answer, yes, I love you. And then Jesus' statement, take care of my sheep, is essentially reminding Peter that because he loves him, 
He will find significance and purpose in denying himself and focusing on the mission of Jesus, which was establishing and growing Jesus' church. But Jesus hadn't gotten through fully to Peter quite yet. And so the third time Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It says that at this point, Peter was hurt. In fact, this word is even way deeper than that. It's that emotional level of him being grieved once again. You know, maybe even a similar feeling to how he felt in that moment of denying Jesus three times. So Peter was grieved because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. The moment Peter was grieved over this question is when I think Peter realized that he had to give up his pride and fully follow Jesus with his life. You know, it's almost like Peter saying, you know, look, Jesus, I, you know, you both, well, we both know that I screwed up, but if anybody knows that I'm not just giving you lip service in this moment, that I have truly changed because of this experience, that it's you. And Peter's saying, I, you know, I get it now. I get it. And from now on, it's my desire to submit my will to yours. And Jesus said, feed my sheep and follow me. You, do you get what just happened there? You know, there was absolutely no judgment or condemnation for Peter in that moment. Not only did Jesus forgive him, but he reinstated him. You know, that line that Jesus told him probably at least a year prior, that your name is Peter, and on this rock I'm going to build my church, that didn't go away because of Peter's sin. Now, they had to deal with it. They had to work through that. They had to dive into the messiness of that peak or that valley, but they did that here. And so any fear or worry or doubt that Peter had about being ostracized out of Jesus' kingdom was completely debunked. You know, Peter's place of usefulness in Jesus' kingdom still existed. He was forgiven and restored. And I think the power of that moment changed Peter's heart. I believe Peter was truly humbled by this redemptive encounter with Jesus. And it doesn't mean that Peter lived a perfect life after this moment. But as you look at Peter's life in the book of Acts, where the early church was being established and how Jesus used Peter to build his church, Peter really was a different man. I think this restorative experience with Jesus caused Peter to finally shift from being self-focused to denying himself and being God-focused. And so for us today, this is a picture of exactly why Jesus came. Jesus went through death on the cross so that the penalty for Peter's sin and your sin and my sin was paid. As we begin to wrap up, I want to pull just a few principles out of Peter's story as it relates to following Jesus. And first is this, the reminder for us that there will be peaks and valleys as you follow Jesus. There are going to be times where you feel incredibly close to the Lord, and there's going to be times that you feel far away from him. But either way, just know that his love for you is unchanging because his love is not dependent on your performance. His love is dependent on who he is. So nothing that you or I could ever do 
will separate us from the love of Jesus. And when you sin, grieve and go to Jesus. When you sin, again, it's that reminder that on this side of heaven, our sin does not get completely erased or blotted out in our lives. We, we still have a sinful, broken nature deep inside of us, and that is going to put itself on display at times. Every day we mess up, but when you sin, grieve. Grieve over that sin and go to Jesus. You know, don't just brush over your failures. Identify the ways that you're denying God's will and living for yourself and give your will over to Jesus. You know, own up to the things in your life that go against the heart and the nature of God. I think the sooner that you and I are able to humble ourselves and repent, the less of a foothold you give the enemy as he tries to whisper his lies in your ear. And then finally, find redemption and purpose in Jesus and keep on following him. You know, Jesus is waiting to have that re redemptive conversation with us. And if you picture Jesus as being unable to forgive you, that is just an inaccurate picture of Jesus. He paid the penalty of our sin at the cross so that we wouldn't have to bear it anymore. So don't bear your sin unnecessarily. Jesus died on the cross in your place so that you could experience redemption in him. So not only has forgiveness been extended to you, but this life of purpose as well. Now here's what I found to be absolutely true, both personally and pastorally, that God is trustworthy and faithful. And if you risk submitting your will to him, the results are greater than anything that you could ever dream up or accomplish on your own. And if you read the first five, just the first five chapters in the book of Acts, you'll see Peter receiving the Holy Spirit, preaching about Jesus and thousands of people coming to faith. You'll see him heal people, see him persecuted and jailed for his faith, see an angel break him out of jail so that he could get back to preaching, see him rejoicing over being flogged, all for the sake of Christ. Peter lived on mission with Jesus for the rest of his life, and he counted it the highest honor. And so today, for us, whether you're currently in a peak or a valley, my encouragement is that you would consider it an opportunity to deny yourself, fix your eyes on Jesus, and follow him. You know, you never know the incredible ways that he has in mind to, to use you in his kingdom. So here's the thing. If Jesus could use a guy like Peter, surely he can use broken people like you and like me also. So don't ever count yourself out. You know, it really is an incredible feeling, uh, incredibly freeing to realize that Jesus is not looking for perfect people because there are no perfect people but he is looking for people who are willing to humble themselves, recognize that they're sinful, they're broken, and in need of a Savior. And take that need for a Savior to Jesus. Go to the foot of his cross and, and just lay yourself bare before him. You know, own up to your sinfulness, own up to your brokenness, and say, God, I, I can't fix myself apart from you. I need you in my life. And God has incredible things in store for you when you deny yourself and focus on the things of God. And so in the same way, you know, there are no 
The same way that there are no perfect people, there are also no perfect churches. But I'm really thankful for a place like Hopevale, you know, a community of grace and truth, inviting people to know and follow Jesus. That is why we exist. That is why we're here. And collectively, can you just imagine what that would look like, not only for the region here that we live in, but around the world as well. If as a people, we deny ourselves and we focus on the mission and purpose of Jesus, not only in our own lives personally, but corporately as a body as well. God has incredible things in store, incredible plans to use this body called Hopevale around this area to bring more and more people to that place where they can get right with the Lord. You know, Jesus is the hope of the world, and it's an honor for us as his church to spread this message of redemption and purpose to a broken world that desperately needs him. So this morning, I hope you see how Jesus' mission crosses paths with your story, that you recognize your sinfulness, that you grieve over it, and in repentance, you give your life fully to the Lord. And may your life, may our lives never be the same again because of it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for uh, your word and just these stories that it gives us and the picture of uh, just humanity, God, and how even today we can relate to that. We can relate to Peter in the ups and the downs of his life. God, sometimes even with the best of intentions, we, we still make mistakes. We still screw up. We still let our own selfish desires get in the way of truly following you. But God, in Peter's story, we saw how he, uh, he took all of that and he was broken by it. And he finally realized that if he truly wanted to love and follow Jesus, he had to die to himself, fix his eyes on Jesus, and let him work through Peter. So God, thanks again just for this story, um, the way that we can relate to it, the challenge that it gives to us. And God, in all of that, we just pray uh, that we would be a people who are becoming more and more like you each and every day. God, that is our heart's desire. That's who we want to be as individuals. That's who we want to be as a church. And so God, we just trust you with the results. Um, we just look forward to being a part of your mission and your purpose here on this earth. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. was his greatest call. And so this song, as we sing this today, as we bless the Lord, as we uh, worship him, we can be reminded our, of our greatest call is to give him glory. So let's sing together. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh
Jesus' holy name because he is worthy of it. So I, I'm so glad that you were here 
uh, together with us this morning. We invite you to come back next week. And Pastor Dan is going to continue the series as he talks about Barabbas. And so as we leave this place, it's just our, our prayer that you'd have a great week as you just focus on who Jesus is in your life and respond to him in love and obedience. Have a great week.